Hey, so this week is week four of five in our series called He Has a Reputation. He has a reputation, he being God. And so what we've been doing through this entire series is that we've been looking at and kind of establishing the reality that God rarely shows up and God rarely does what we want him to do when we want him to do it. But we've been looking at the reality that God does show up when we need him the most. And we've been looking at stories in scripture that bear witness to God's reputation that he is good, he is true, he is holy, he is worth us worshiping him. And so we've been looking at, uh, we've been looking at stories like the Jordan River. We've been looking at uh, the Jericho walls falling down. Last week, week three, we looked at David and Goliath. And today we're going to continue and we're going to look at the story of three young men that are staring in the face of a fiery furnace. So if you would, get your Bibles out and get to Daniel chapter 3, or you turn them on, get to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we're going to hang out. For most of my adult life, I have been striving and attempting to become the guy that's known uh, to, as, as the guy that builds things. I've always wanted to have the reputation, oh yeah, Chris, I keep builds really cool things. Not like with steel. I feel like I would just cut myself and that's not really beneficial to me, but like with woodworking. I wanted to be known as the guy that like, I can build that. People know me as the guy that will build that for you. Here's the problem is that uh, if you know me, you know that I'm cheap. And so I don't have the tools that I need. You also know that at least if you go back at all in, in any history of knowing me, you will know that I've just always and consistently been balling on a budget, meaning I don't have the money to be buying all of these fancy tools. And so uh, the reality is like when I was 21, 22, that's when I started this hobby. Uh, I started, I wanted to become a woodworker and I was moving into a new apartment with two other guys that would later become the most filthy apartment that I've ever lived in in my entire life. But that's a different story for a different time. But our mattresses are laying on the floor and it's like, I need to have something to put my stuff on. Like all one thing that I owned at that point, which was a coffee mug, I need to put it on a table. So I'm going to build a table. This is going to be my first real project. And so uh, I take my very small wallet and I go down to Menards and I buy one two by four. One. Uh, zero, room for, zero room for error on this project. I buy one two by four and I buy a sheet of OSB. I buy half a sheet of OSB because I can't afford the entire piece. And so I go to a buddy's house. I'm like, hey, I want to build something. Can I use your tools? And he's like, knock yourself out. I did not ask him if he would help me build something. I said, can I use your tools to build something? He said, yes. And so I grabbed the circular saw. That's all that I grabbed. I grabbed a drill. I grabbed a circular saw and I grabbed a drill. And so I went to work. He went back inside and I measured out the two by four. I think it was like 18 inches. I don't remember. Whatever the height uh, coffee table would be. And so I measured it out 18 inches and made my cuts. And then I took the half a sheet of OSB that I had and I measured it out 24 inches by 24 inches, whatever the top would be. Cut it. And uh, I did not have a sander, and so this was a very rough edge of a top of the table. In fact, I got splinters later. Again, different story, different time. I finished the project. I, I throw my two screws in. Literally, I stand, I, I put the, the two by four on the table. If you're a woodworker, you're like, this is a train wreck. I put the two by four on the bottom of the piece of OSB, and then I kind of flip it on its side and shoot two screws into its legs. And then I do the same thing three more times. And then I turn the table over, and I set it down, and I'm like, Huh. it's standing. 
Like it's it's a it's a table, and then like any good person, like you know, how, like you want to test how what's the like like is this thing sound? Is it structurally sound? You always kind of like give it a little nudge, and so like I step over to the table, will place my hand on top of the table, and I give it a little I give it a little nudge, and what I found like if something isn't built right out of wood that is a solid object, you would expect like it just to kind of topple over, right? Like if it's not built right, it's just going to crush and it's going gonna, it's gonna to topple over. What this table did was something I've never experienced before up to that point and since then. This table, I place my hand on it and I move it and uh, it jiggles. Like it didn't topple, it jiggled. Like grandma's jello at Thanksgiving, it just kind of jiggled back and forth. I was like, well, I'm stuck with it because I don't know how to repair it and I don't know what I'm doing. So I took it and it would hold maybe the weight of a cup of coffee. And even then it was questionable. I share that story and simply ask this question. What does that jiggly table have to do with our society? How does our society compare to that jiggly table? Everyone in our society is seeking a platform. They want to sign up and advocate for someone or something. And the things that so many people in our society are choosing to sign up for, and the the people that we're choosing to sign up and platform ourselves with, can't bear the weight of the things of this world. Like the jiggly table cannot bear the weight of anything more than a cup of water. The things that we are choosing to platform ourselves on cannot bear the weight that we have to place on it. And the reason I believe this is happening today in our society in this 2023, the reason I think this is happening is because we are losing more and more the ability to identify the right tools and to identify the right people that will lead us to personal growth. Let me get a little bit more simple and and clear on what I'm trying to say. As a society, we are getting further and further away from the Bible that will help us navigate, navigate sketchy waters. Because the Bible is truth, and but we don't, want, we don't want anything to do with that, and so we look elsewhere. And then we, instead of looking at truth, what we look for is self-help books. What we do is we look at uh, Instagram and TikTok influencers to help us get through whatever it is that we are going through. Or worse yet, we look inward and we try to find out what answers I can come up with that will help me navigate all of the world's turmoils. We are removing ourselves from the truth of the Bible, the tool that has actually been written to help us get through all of these times. In addition to that, we are looking elsewhere. We are looking to be discipled. To be a discipled, anyone and everyone's being discipled. To be a disciple is to simply be a learner, a forever learner of something. And so what's happening is we are choosing to be discipled by something and discipled into something other than Jesus himself. And we know by reading the scripture, the tool, that Jesus has not overcome the world. He's defeated the things of this world. So he can bear the weight of this world and he can defeat this world. But what we are choosing to do and what we are choosing to say is, I want to be discipled by Joe Rogan. I want to be discipled by the women of the view. Why? Because they make me feel good right now in this moment. And both of those things and both of those people are pulling us further and further away from Jesus, who can bear the weight of this world and overcome the things of this world. 
And so the reason our society is failing is because we are removing ourselves from the right tools and we, not, we are not asking the right people to disciple us into a relationship with Jesus. And so here's what happens when we do that. When we set our platform on the things of this world, we know that the things of this world will not last forever. Look at your iPhone. If it's brand new, I don't know. It, mine is so old at this point, I don't know what number we're on, but I'm pretty sure there's another one coming out this week. Like, I don't, I don't know that. But every other week, there's something new. It doesn't last. My phone's so old, I can't even get the update. Like, it's old. It's not going to last. It doesn't matter what you platform yourself with. If it is built in this world, it will not last the test of time. So what's the solution? We've established the tension. We've established the problem. What's the solution? And what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 3 is we're going to see three things established. It is the one true God that can hold the weight of this world. The one true God is the platform that is faithful to the end. And then in, after that, we're going to see in the face of pressure and suffering, there are three men in the story that do not compromise their faith and do not compromise their witness. And all of this is going to make sense in a minute. So turn your Bibles on, open them up. Jan Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. Set a little bit of context. Daniel's the author. That's kind of common. Common sense, right? Like Daniel's the author. What's happening in society is the Jewish people have been in the promised land for quite some time, but now because they've been dabbling in all these other worldly gods and all this other stuff, what happens is God allows them to be overrun by the Babylonian empire. So now the Jewish people are living in exile. They are now living under the authority and the leadership of somebody else. That somebody is King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar is establishing what this Babylonian empire is going to look like. And he takes four people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, you guys are going to learn the way of Babylon. And then you're going to lead. So these people are of, 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 of some influence. And we're going to pick up Daniel chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Pause. King Nebuchadnezzar has built this uh, golden image. Some people say it was of himself. Some people say it was some kind of combination of all the gods of Babylon. But in any case, he has built this thing of gold. And he has said, when the music plays, you fall down and you worship this, uh, this, this object. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Pay attention to this question. 
And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And so for years, the Jewish people have been dabbling with the gods of this world. For years, they have been battling and struggling for whatever reason, self-induced, for whatever reason, they have been struggling to find the platform that they want to stand on. They've been saying, oh, well, this God over here, this God of, uh, of the world, it seems like it has some credibility to it. Maybe, maybe there's something to that. And so they've been dabbling and they'll, they'll get their hands smacked and then they'll back off and they'll come back to God. And over and over again, and it's leading up to this spot where Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes over and says, now I'm going to force you to worship the gods of this world. And we know what this is like. We know what it's like to be in a world of plurality, meaning we know what it's like to live in a world where there's many different God choices. We face them all the time. There's the God of work. There's the God of status. There's the God of sex. There's the God of fulfillment. There's the God of anything that you can possibly create. That God exists and is working its best to try to get you to platform yourself with them. And so what we see in our lives is that everything is battling for us to platform ourselves with that person or that thing. And the three men in our story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, 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 we are going to choose to platform ourselves with the one true God. That's who we are going to platform ourselves with. Now, what is it or why is it that with such confidence, they can platform themselves with the one true God. And it is that there's only one God that will pursue its creation. The gods of this world don't care about you. They don't care about your fulfillment. The gods of this world only want what they can get out of you. It is not about you. It is about them. But what we see throughout this entire book is that God creates and then God pursues. At no point do we see God saying, you're too far away from me. At no point do we see God saying, that's a little bit too messy. I think I'm going to stand back and let you figure it out for yourself. And if you figure it out for yourself, then I'll come after you. No. What we see happening is that the God of creation says, I don't care how messy you are. I don't care what you've screwed up. I don't care what bad decisions you've made. I don't care about what bad things have happened to you. In any situation, in every situation, I am coming after you because I want to be in a relationship with you. And there is no other God in this entire world that will ever be able to make that claim. There's no other religion. No other religions God will ever be able to make that claim that, hey, you're messy, I'm still loving you. There's, it's not going to happen. Keep searching. If you're in that spot and you're looking around, keep searching. I'm telling you, I'll, I'll help your research a little bit. It's not there. It doesn't exist. I've read too many boring books that have all claimed the exact same thing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, I'm going to platform myself with the one true God. Then specifically, here's how they answer the question. Verse 16. Again, Nebuchadnezzar has just asked, <laughs> I'm going to try to my best to like imitate what I think he, how he said it. <sighs> Who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? 
Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have, <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, O Nebuchadnezzar, you're not worth the time for me to answer your lame question. Verse 7, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and all their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace." And what we see happening from the moment that these three men choose to say, I will not worship this God, pressure starts to mount. Remember verse 12 says they are overseers of the province in Babylon, which means they're leading people. They're mid-level managers, right? Like they are overseeing some level of people and some level of leadership. And when they say, I'm not going to bow down and worship this God, the people that they are leading, the Chaldeans, are like, hold on a second. That's not the rule. And so pressure starts to rise because they're looking at their manager and they're saying, he's not doing it. And then they go around them. They go to the boss. They go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they're like, hey, they're not doing this. And then King Nebuchadnezzar comes down and pressure again starts to rise because now their their boss, their overseer is starting to come down on them and say, hold on, you're not doing it the way that I've told you to do it. You're not doing what I told you to do. You're, You're choosing your own God. Pressure is rising. They choose to stand on the platform that is true. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to throw you in that furnace. Pressure continues to rise. They choose their platform and then he gets really mad. And he says, increase the temperature seven times what it's supposed to be. Pressure continues to rise. They're not even sent to go home and say goodbye to anybody. They're like, no, bind them up right now and take them right up to that furnace. Pressure continues to rise. And I don't know how high this furnace was. I don't know if it was like five feet off the ground, if it was two feet. I don't know how high, but it says they had to walk up to it. So at some level, they had to walk up some kind of small hill and they hear the heat. If you've been anywhere close to a really hot fire, you can hear it. And you can smell it burning. Pressure is just continuing to rise. And they're bound and they're walking up and pressure continues to rise because it doesn't seem as if God is going to show up. It doesn't seem as if God is going to take these these shackles away from them. Pressure continues to rise all the way to the point that the people that are leading them die before they make it into the furnace itself. It's so hot that the servants of the king die at, at just getting close to it. Pressure is rising against Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego. 
And I would simply ask you the question, what furnace are you facing? What in your life is creating this rising pressure? And maybe you're like these three men and you're the only one in the office that believes in the one true God. And standing firm in your faith brings isolation and brings side comments. Maybe it's the pressure of time. You have all these things you want to accomplish for good, but you're so strapped for time and you don't think that you're doing anything good in your life. Maybe as we're moving into this holiday season, maybe the pressure, you can just sense it and you can feel it amongst your family. Maybe you're the only one in your family that believes in the one true God. And every single year, every time you go home, there's always comments from your brother, from your sister, from your mom, and from your dad about why you believe what you believe, how you can do that, how you can say that, all of the, and so you just feel this pressure rising in this season. What we can learn from these three men is that faith in the midst of pressure produces something worth beholding. Faith in the midst of pressure produces something worth beholding. You know how knives are formed? Like a knife is a really useful tool for many different things. You know how it's formed? By sticking steel into a fire pulling it out and then hammering it out, shaping it to become something useful. Married men and women, look down on your finger. Many of you might have a diamond on your finger. A diamond is nothing more than a rock. Until what? Until pressure is applied to it. And faith in the midst of pressure produces something worth beholding. But how do we stand firm in our faith in the midst of pressure? Romans, I I got too many bookmarks in here. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul says this, likewise, remember the question. The question is, how can we stand firm in the faith when pressure is rising? Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us. This is the Holy Spirit of God himself. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to his will, to the will of God. And we know That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. How can we stand firm? How can we stand solidly in the face of pressure? And how can we remain faithful? Is those of us that are choosing the platform that is the one true God, we are walking with and we are standing firm in the fact that the Holy Spirit of God himself is within us. So how do we do it? We have the power inside of us. How can I withstand all of this pressure that's mounting? It is the Holy Spirit that is interceding on our behalf. How do I even know what to pray in the face of this pressure? The Holy Spirit is saying, I got you. I'm going to pray on your behalf in the midst of this pressure. It is the Holy Spirit that is within you, that is interceding for you and has the words to use and has the words to pray when you have no idea how to pray or what to pray. We are not alone in this. 
faith in the midst of pressure will produce something worth beholding. Let's finish out this story. Chapter 3, verse, where are we at? 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. Now, remember, they fe- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have fallen into the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, building building up this image, saying you're going to do this or I'm going to kill you. King Nebuchadnezzar says, answers, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who has sent his angel and has delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, his command. What if I feel like I'm not going to overcome the things of this world? What if I feel like I'm just not going to amount to anything? You're still not alone. It is the God of creation. If you're choosing to platform yourself on the God of creation, it is the God of creation that says you're not alone. The furnace cannot be too hot. You will not be alone. The second truth that we can see coming from this is that what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What happens with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they're thrown into this fiery furnace. And they're not alone. There's a fourth person walking around. There's all kinds of theological things that we can talk about. There's Jesus himself. We can talk about that. But the reality is that God said, you're not alone. I'm going to place you. I'm going to put someone in the fiery furnace with you to help you overcome that fiery furnace. They're not alone. The reality is that we're all going to suffer. We've established that. We are all going to suffer. The difference for the Christian, the difference for the person that chooses to platform themselves on the one true God of creation is that we are not alone in our sufferings. And God will see us through whatever that means and whatever that looks like. God will see us through to the end. We're not alone. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God said, I'm going to deliver you from this furnace. You're not even going to smell like smoke. Which some of you are like, every time I sit in front of a fire, the smoke comes right at me. Yeah, they didn't smell like that whatsoever. What God did in them, he wanted to do through them. And what he wanted to do through them was this witness that King, even King Nebuchadnezzar was having on their lives. They said, I'm not going to worship your God. They have influence. King Nebuchadnezzar already respects them prior to all of this. There's a witness. And the fact that they don't fall at the hands of the gods of this world, people are paying attention. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the same king that at the beginning of all of this flippantly and disgustingly says, 
what God is going to deliver you from this? At the end of the story, the same king is saying, it's your God that's going to deliver you from this. Your witness, it will extend far beyond what you realize. You have a witness. When you're choosing to platform yourself for the one true God, you have a witness because somebody's watching you. Whether it's the people you lead, whether it's people in your house, someone is watching how you will respond to things that are broken and the things of this world. Someone's watching you. And there's an evil one that's waiting for you to trip up because then they're going to capitalize on that. But when we choose to have faith in the midst of pressure, it produces something worth beholding. And when they witness how you stand firm, that doesn't mean you don't cry. I can cry. It's hard. But when you stand firm in the God of creation, people will see that. And they will say, the gods that I've been looking at are not leading me to that kind of resolve. You have a witness. And so what happens to wrap all of this up? Oh, wait, I still have another passage I got to read. I'm not going to bypass it. Second Corinthians chapter one, Paul says this. I'm a preacher. Come on. I'm not going to bypass more talking. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three, Paul says this. Blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Catch that. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so what Paul is saying is that what God is going to do in you, he wants to do through you. And so I'm going to recap real quick. Three things we learn from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They platform themselves on the one true God who is more than capable of overcoming the things of this world. The second thing he does is that faith in the midst of pressure produces something worth beholding. They do not compromise their faith no matter the pressure that's mounting. The third thing that happens in all of this is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not compromise their witness. They remain faithful to the end of the story no matter what it is. And it does not compromise their witness. And it's at this point that uh, when you learn how to preach a sermon, you're supposed to start landing the plane. But I have a friend that is able to land this plane far better than I would be able to. So church, if you would, give a hand for Miranda as she comes up to give her testimony of this. Thanks, Miranda. Hey, she's got a testimony. As I step down, give her some encouragement. Give her another round of applause. Um, I was first pumped when Luke asked me to share my testimony. Um, and then I was hesitant. Um, hesitant because I don't have the answers. Hesitant because my story is messy and full of sadness and brokenness. Um, but my story is also full of resilience, the Holy Spirit, and a call for you, my brothers and sisters. I knew early in my life I wanted a science. <laughs> I'm a little quirky, if you can't tell. <laughs> um, I also have a complicated relationship with the medical field. My brother was diagnosed with leukemia when he was two and I was seven. Um, praise God, he's still with us and thriving today. But 
Fast forward a couple of years and you'll find me working as a pharmacist in the best hospital in the city in an intensive care unit, um, witnessing firsthand the brokenness of this world. Um, fast forward a little bit more to this year, 2023, um, and I decided to apply for a fellowship in medical ethics. There are a lot of things in the medical profession, especially now, that can um, lead to ethical dilemmas. You can probably imagine some of them, but in case you can't, um, ventilator and medication allocation during a deadly pandemic is one of them. Um, how do we navigate that? Medical ethics is heavy. After talking it over with my family, I submitted an application, the whole time praying, God, I know this is crazy. I'm leaning on you and your guidance. Should I even enter this space? Um, I get the interview, and in the group portion of the interview, they're like, well, this is our most competitive year, so if you don't get it, go ahead and reapply next year. And I'm like, I'm out. I was interviewing with a ton of brilliant people. Um, and then to my complete shock, I'm accepted, and I'm like, all right, God, here we go. Enter more prayer and a few, more than a few sleepless nights. <laughs> Um, the first day I meet my co-fellows, there are nine of us total, and they are some of the smartest and mo most compassionate people I've ever had the privilege of working with. Um, so I'm making friends, I'm feeling good. And then um, one of the first lessons is the basic principles, um, like the basic understanding of, standing of human life. We were talking about consciousness, and being a pharmacist, I thought, um, drugs, you can make people unconscious with drugs. Well, um, <laughs> that's not really what this discussion was about. Um, as we discussed a little further, the question essentially became what makes a human being more important than a dog or a cricket? Um, and I sat there saying nothing, just squinting my brow. I'm pretty animated, if you can't tell. Um, so I'm just squinting my brow, trying to figure this out. And the discussion leads to the idea of creation and of the earth and evolution and how we came from pond scum, that um, type of thing. So I'm just sitting there. I want to out myself yet. So I, I raise my hand and I'm like, well, what if, you know, you believe in that whole like Adam and Eve thing? Um, and the professor goes, oh, full disclosure, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, ah, okay, here we go. Um, so we talk about it a little bit more and I go, well, what if you believe in the Imago Dei and that we are all made in the image of God? Um, and then he writes soul on the whiteboard. And he goes, I'm imagining you think people have one of these. And he circles it and he goes, I do not. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so we have a fundamental difference in the baseline of our ethics. Here we go. Okay, before another lecture, one of the professors suggested we leave our religious feelings at the door. Um, but then not 30 minutes later, we were acknowledging that most of the foundational um, secular ethics of today originated from Christianity. So you can see where my mind's like, what's going on? Um, you see, medical ethics is the secular, secular world's way of reasoning through dilemmas without God. Oh boy, God, is this where I'm really supposed to be? How do you live in a world without becoming the world? How do you be in the world without being the world? So in January of this year, four months before I even had thought of applying for this fellowship, I joined an outpost called TNT, True North Travelers, and some of the ladies are here up front. Um, Every month, these wisdom-filled women pour into me. We hike, we talk, some of us sing. <laughs> I sometimes stay quiet. 
And we take it all in. We talk about the Lord. Um, and these women allow the space for me to be quiet and to be filled and poured into. We enjoy God's beauty, and I am filled. It's as if God placed TNT in my life at the exact right moment. So when, in my, when I'm in those discussions, when I'm in that furnace, I'm not alone. So my ideas for anyone else in this space, pray. It doesn't have to be formal. I pray on my mower. <laughs> you see, if I close my eyes, I typically fall asleep. <laughs> um, I pray when I'm gardening. I pray when I plant trees, and I plant a lot of trees. <laughs> my poor husband knows. <laughs> so friends, don't shrink from the world. Look the brokenness in the eye. So many times I've wanted to pull my kids from school, quit my job, and be a self-sustaining bee farmer. <laughs> but that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants for me. That's not what he wants for you. God wants us in these spaces, engaging with his people, and we must remember the Imago Dei. We are all made in the image of God, whether we accept or even acknowledge that. Engage, interact, and love his people with true and genuine intention. God will do the rest. It's my, not my job to convict. Let that weight go. The Holy Spirit can handle that. These Hebrew boys didn't run from the decree and the culture. They didn't protest or use violence. They kept the faith. They had each other. And he did the rest. He didn't save them from the fire. He saved them in the fire. Sometimes you have to stand in that fire, and you might come out a little strong after. If not, there's always bee farming. My story isn't done yet. So thank you, everyone.